Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grime and Games Grimecast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Nutchucks, and with me, your co-pilot, Browbeat. So, Mr. Browbeat, it's uh, it's been about the normal amount of time since uh, we normally talk to each other. Um, it felt faster this time around. I gotta say, I'm not sure why. It did it? Did. Can't tell if more happened or less happened. But here we are. Indeed. Um, it's gone by pretty quick. Uh, in that span of time, I have uh, started a new show. Uh, that I somewhat mentioned to you before we started. Uh, it's Fairy Tale in Space. Uh, if anybody knows what Fairy Tale is, it is a uh, anime from the mid two thousands to the late teens of the two thousands. Um, Fairy Tale in Space. It's in space. So it, it it's about a boy who lived on a robot planet, who goes and meets this girl who comes to visit this planet and finds him, and he has this special gear that nobody's seen in years. And uh, okay. she has a cat that is the exact same cat from Fairy Tale in the exact same name. Happy with the exact same voice actor from Fairy Tale. I'm going to take this moment to confirm that you're being cheeky in terms of what you're calling the show without revealing the name itself. Um, it appears that Eden's Zero is what the name is. Correct. But it's acceptable to call it Fairy Tale in Space because it is, it is Fairy Tale in Space. I just have to caution you by calling things the cheeky thing for realties. Because, Nutshucks, you, you've got a strong propensity for calling it your own cute pet name. Which is okay, but then you never clarify what that means. Oh. And so if somebody does a direct search for, oh, where's this fairy tale in space thing? That just doesn't exist. Uh, I was actually about to get to that. Um, oh. it, it is called Eden Zero. Uh, the plot of the story is this boy uh, is... Considered the grandson of the Demon King, and the Demon King, some as a robot that uh, was a pirate in space who came to this planet, uh, and then is essentially more human than uh, any human in the show because all the humans make fun of him and make fun of other people and are jerks. And his whole thing was, look, everyone has a heart, no matter what you are, a robot or anything. Friendship is awesome, and the show has the same theme as Hunter Hunter. Only thing that matters. Is friends and getting friendships. So this kid's journey and wish when he meets this all-powerful being called Mother is to make as many friends as possible. In the in order to in order to conquer the galaxy, make all the friends that you are the strongest. Yes, uh, I guess uh, his whole thing is like from the first few episodes. It kind of dies off after episode five. Um, it's like he goes up to random people. He's like, "You want to be my friend?" They're like. No, like, get out of here, dude. <laughs> like, no, no one wants to be your friend. Leave. And uh, he he is almost like uh, Natsu from Fairy Tale, uh, but he's got black hair, uh, and he has superpowers. That is a, what's called gravity ethers, so he can float in space and uh, float in the air and fly, and he can land on things and make them heavier and center their gravity and cause them to fall. Um, so his ether is super strong, and it was the Demon King's ether. So he, uh, so what? No, I've said nothing. I'm just listening to this spell out in its usual fashion. Tell me more about his superpowers. His, his superpower is just, uh, robot gear, essentially. Um, oh, gra gravity robot gear. Okay. Yeah. A gravity robot gear. So is he able to tunnel through time? Do some other relativistic fuckery? Uh, there is a time travel episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. He, good. He, he goes Maybe as good as um, Titanfall Two, possibly. 
the the milestone benchmark of time mechanics almost almost as good if i've only played titanfall 2 finished playing Titanfall 2 because we got through the the tutorial first, stage first couple missions and there's good stuff there but whenever you feel up to it uh, i'm down for any time sir it's a pretty it's pretty it was fun i enjoyed that learning how to play it i, I might be terrible but i'll get better um yeah it's all in the learning we all start terrible at everything actually have you seen kids kids suck at pretty much everything but then they get better maybe some don't. Some, some do not some turn off to the people that i have to deal with on the streets but uh yeah this gentleman uh young man named shiki uh joins companionship with a girl uh rebecca who looks exactly like the girl from fairy tale and the cat happy who you find out later on is a uh robot cat whose memories after he died were implanted on this robot cat um, to keep going on because uh, Rebecca needed needed uh, companionship because she was homeless and so was this cat. Um, the time travel episode is about episode five when they stop. He's like, I want to be everybody's friend. They meet the professor that healed the cat, but the, the, the planet is going through some cloud that is making the, the planet be 50 years in the past. Um, so when they get off the planet, they meet this pirate lady who used to know the Demon King, uh, Shiki's grandfather. And she's like, meet me on this floor and fight me. So he goes and he fights this octopus tentacle monster. And they have fan service in certain parts where Rebecca gets tied up with this tentacle monster sidekicks. And they you zoom up on her chest and everything. And just like every stereotypical anime character, she has uh, like triple D's. No, no, no. Hang on. That's deeply dismissive of the archetypes of anime females. No, some have no chests. Good some point. have chests. Some have abundant chests. Some have comical chests. And some are some have take-me-seriously chests. These are all interesting tropes that are frequently paired with hairstyles and colors as well. There's a whole taxonomy, honestly. But um, I'm seeing the, ep the episode name list. Is this The Great Naked Escape, episode 10? It no, that's that is a couple episodes later. This let me see, uh, let me pull it up on here. I can't. It's going to be like it, two episodes before that. It's it's better if you keep it vague because if we deep dive on the canonical lore of Eden's Zero, which is in no way a cheap cash in for fan service and is a serious space story, uh, we'll be here for a while. Uh, we will be. Uh, it's going to be. I think it's actually going to be episode. It looks very colorful. It's going to be Skull Fairy, I believe, because that's going to be the one right before he get uh, gets the ship. So episode seven is going to be where he gets the ship, which the show's named after. So he gets, after he defeats uh, Red Hair Pirate Lady, who I can't remember her name, uh, she gives him the ship. Like, yeah, that was uh, the Demon Kings, your grandfather's. Here's, here's the ship. It's yours now. Thank you for clearing out these parasites that have been floating around. And it's like, oh, what's the ship called? Eden Zero. So the ship is the name of the show. And from there, um, they do have the Great Naked Escape, which is going to be where they get kid all the cube tubers. Uh, they have uh, they're they're playing also on the trope of uh, YouTubers and be like, oh yeah, these people like to make videos in space and they get fun videos and they have highest ranking. And you get paid depending on how much you do. Um, mm -hmm. And so you got a engagement. Don't worry about what you're watching. Just keep watching. Come back every week. Yep. So they, uh, they, they get bubbles put on them and all their clothes melt off. All these very attractive, and that's what he want, the bad guy wants, is very attractive V-Cubers because he's trying to make furniture out of all pretty women in the world or universe. 
Furniture. Furniture. Okay, I'll give it to him. That's that's different than usual. Uh, yeah, that is actually the last episode I watched. Uh, I'm uh, slowly banging my head against the wall when I watch it, but I'm like, I've, I've done 10 episodes in. I'm doing what I say I shouldn't do. Like, I just, I want to see how bad this gets. And it is actually not fairy tale in space. It's slightly different. There's no magic or anything, and no one can summon magical beings or use their magical fire breath to kill things. So it, it, it's slightly different. It is a space odyssey with similar looking characters done by the same guy who wrote fairy tale. So essentially everybody's been calling it since it's come out fairy tale in space. Uh, it's actually called Eden zero. It's named after the, the ship that uh, Shiki has, who is the main character, main male character. Um, how, how, just how similar are, are the beats and the comedy points and the action points in the show? Because I'd like to provide an example of a show that I was shown back when I was in high school, actually, called Tenjo Tenge, which was a school fight anime that got a very weird pacing problem, but always felt pretty lewd in a welcome way, but still, it's pretty obvious. And then years later, I got confused because there's another show called Ikitosen that had pretty much the exact same structure and almost character copies. And lo and behold, it turned out that the creator who wrote the mangas for, again, etchy reasons, had licensed off those two properties who are basically the same properties, but they look different. And they're named just different enough, but one show is basically the other show. Which felt A, confusing, but B, also sort of weirdly cheap, because, hey, I got paid, who cares, right? Said the creator. So uh, this is not old. This is not called fairy tale, and it is not in space. However, how much of a difference does it really need to be? Uh, it's actually pretty different. Like I said, there's... The, the plot... Like you said, the, the the funny moments are there. The lewd moments are from the get-go. Uh, the very first time you meet Shiki as a teenager and Rebecca, uh, he's trying to fix an animal on the planet, and all of a sudden he lands. He's like, it's a female. And the first thing he does is gropes her and then looks up her skirt. And there she smacks the shit out of him, and he gets back up and he's like, you want to be my friend? I'm like, this, this isn't funny to me, but I guess somebody finds it funny. I don't know who, but it had a lot It depends. If you can laugh at it, or if you think to yourself, there's an R word for that. Yeah, that's uh, there's definitely an R word for that. It but, might even be actionable as a tort, if you can prove it. Yeah. Uh, most people probably say the word tort, and most people are like, what the hell's a tort? Well, sometimes in the Russian, it means uh, cake. Chocolate cake. Really? Made of sexual assault. Actually, yes, tort. That's a word for cake. Not um, so in English. In English, it is a... Uh, what, what would you call it? An actionable legal concern that may re lead to a charge? Yeah, a tort is a legal action against somebody for either civil or legal liabilities or re legal reason. Like you did a crime, so now there's somebody is filing charges against you as a legal tort. But that is uh, good to know about tort in Russian is chocolate cake. It's delicious cake made of uh, proceeds sustained in court, plus damages and negligence. Don't forget that. <laughs> How do you so, make this? What is your what's your takeaway for Eden's Zero so far? Is, is are the twenty episodes the whole show? Of course they're not. Uh, or is it just the first season? Are they releasing it little by little? They're, and you're watching it, you're you're suffering through it, but there's got to be something that keeps you there. I am watching it because I one, it's I wanted to talk about it on the show. Um, two, uh, it, it's keeping me there because I'm just like I want to see if it gets better. And it's a dumb reason for me to say that. Like, I am one of those people that's just like, you shouldn't do that. If it's not good after a couple episodes, which I've said in a, pre a previous podcast, 
Like, if it's not good after 10 episodes, you should just drop it. But it's it's enough. By the way, there's only uh, only so many comics. It came out 16, by, 16 volumes as of July this year. So it has a decent amount of episode, uh, uh, mangas. Um, it's released by the same company that did Fairy Tale. Yep. Fairy Tale refused to end and never got better. It stayed the same. It, it plateaued after episode two. What hope does this thing have at getting better? It's in space, I guess. I don't. I don't know. Maybe the fights Out, will get better. Maybe Outlaw Star is also frequently in space, and both <laughs> space and magic, and just enough fan service do also occur. Wouldn't you rather just watch Outlaw Star? Yeah, but I've already watched Outlaw Star. We'll do it again. I'm gonna. You know, what? <laughs> I'm going back. I'm watching all the Tenchi Muyos. Tenchi in Tokyo. Tenchi in space. Tenchi, because that's still going on. I think there's like a seventh Tenchi series going on now. I'm just like, oh my god. And they're all on Funimation, so I can watch them when I want to. Uh, I just happened to be looking for something new, because I watched a... Oh, I watched a very good Bob Ross documentary. And for some reason, because both of these are Netflix exclusives, the next thing it offered was Eden Zero. Wow. That's a total whiplash, but long as we're talking about riots of color with barely understandable plots, do you want to speak a little bit about the Bob Ross documentary? Because I'm much more interested in the Bob Ross documentary. Yes, uh, so surprisingly, I didn't think I was going to like this, but being the dork that I am and I can't paint to save my life, uh, it chronicles Bob Ross's uh, early stages into getting into the painting field and how these two family, uh, these two, this couple found him and was essentially like, we really like the way you do these classes. Can you come do these classes in Chicago? And Bob goes, yes. So he moved him and his son uh, to Chicago, uh, Stephen Ross, and he he essentially started doing that. And then they were like, hey, we want to put you on Chicago PBS. We want to have a whole thing. So they had a house, the house that they were in, and they did it in the living room. They just put a black backdrop. And they talked about how much he didn't care about what money was being brought in, even though the other family had rights to the Bob Ross Incorporated. And I cannot remember their name. And I'm terribly sorry if anybody's listening to this. They created a company that was through Weber Paint and uh, other, it's Weber Paint and something else. Uh, that gave specific color, specific brushes, and everything. So he was they were making millions of dollars off the name, and Bob was like, I don't care. I just want people to be happy. And you're hearing it from his son and all the friends that were close to him, because at the same time he was doing the show, he was also still doing classes, and people were coming in to be Bob Ross certified painters. And they were like, what you saw in the show was the same guy you saw outside of the show. Uh, he was very kind, very understanding, and was like, hey, even if you make a mistake, let's do this and let's adjust it. And he was willing to talk to people and help them learn and really live by the philosophy of everybody can paint. Doesn't matter how crappy you are, you can paint. We'll find some way of making this. And it's cool to see that someone that's on TV, because normally when you hear something about someone on TV, it's like they're not the same person on camera as they're off camera, um, that he was the same guy off. But he also had a huge fascination with cars, and he liked to scare the shit out of people. He had uh, some sports car from the 60s, and he would uh, take it and be like, hey, you want to go fast? And he would just go like 95 down a freeway and scare the shit out of anybody that was with him. Um, he had an affair with the lady that was running the company, supposedly, but they denied the claim. I'm not giving it justice. I saw it the day after we did the podcast. <laughs> Still, so, it's some impressions. Uh, I glanced at this when you were talking the kowalski family sounds like they are retaliating uh due to what they perceive as slander in the wake of this particular thing but i can see it 
Uh, my question is, how much attention was there given to Bob's previous military service? Very, very little. Mm-hmm. It was mentioned as a token. Yeah, so essentially, like, he was in Alaska. That's when he got to painting. Uh, according to what I've, I've seen other things about Bob Ross, that, like, he was kind of a, a jerk. Like, he was yelling all the time. He would scream at people when he was in the military. Sure. Then but, a couple of heart attacks later, you change your ways. Well, according to this thing that I watched, it was on uh, the, the used tubes. It, uh, it was talking about him and that essentially what happened was he got to painting and the painting calmed him and he liked landscape painting and he really, really loved to do landscape painting. So instead of being angry all the time, any anger or upset that he could, that he had, he would essentially do it with the paintings. So he's like, all all of it comes out. I can relieve my stress. I'm not angry anymore. I'm painting. I'm happy. I found my happy spot. And it's, it was very good. Um, They did mention that in the, the Kowalskis that they sent them a cease and desist letter uh, that you cannot release this video. If you do, your legal action will be taken. Um, they talk about how the son of the guy who created Weber, uh, Bob Ross's son, and one other gentleman that used to do uh, uh, lessons with Bob Ross and help teach Bob Ross painting techniques to make people Bob Ross certified instructors, which is still a thing, by the way, um, tried to create their own company called RSR Incorporated, and they got sued because the uncle, or Bob Ross's half-brother, um, had essentially was the executor of the uh, Bob Ross's half along with his son, but because he didn't feel that his son would make the right decisions, he was like, hey, he has all control and for a few years. Well, within that time after he died, he sold the company, ever, all the rights that even his son was supposed to have to the Kowalskis and essentially gave 100% of the Bob Ross Incorporated rights uh, to the Kowalskis uh, so he can make money and pay for a divorce that his gold digging wife at the time was essentially trying to take all his money for. Okay. And so it's this, good to see that lo- love wins in the end. It does. But uh, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I, I know I'm not giving it justice. I'm giving tidbits and snippets. It was very, for a documentary, it was well shot. They had, it wasn't like most documentaries that I've watched where they're in a black background or they're in an office building. They were doing it in homes. Uh, they were, doing it in people's living room. So it was kind of neat. They got to go, they would go places and see where Bob Ross, the original house was. And, um, and so it was, it, they took you on a trip of learning how Bob Ross did hit what he did and how he did it. So it was a uh, very fun. Uh, like I said, highly recommend the Bob Ross documentary. Um, they occasionally hit pretty darn good on the uh, documentary front with, uh, Netflix does on the documentary front. Sometimes they, they, they get one that knocks it out of the park. And so, uh, a plus 10 out of 10 would recommend. No, let me rephrase that statement. One out of 10 would definitely recommend. Oh yeah. Yeah. The spite review. It's one of our favorite genres now. Uh, so you're saying this is more watchable than the Bob Dole documentary. I didn't know they made a Bob Dole documentary, but, uh, if they did, then probably. For the purposes of this joke, they made one. Now I have a funny tidbit for you. The reason I asked about, Bob Ross's military involvement is that there was a long-term misunderstanding on my side due to no research that apparently Mr. Rogers of the neighborhood fame uh, had been a former Navy SEAL, which I don't think is the case in the least. However, thinking about the phrase Mr. Rogers past buds makes me giggle for all the wrong reasons on the inside. So that is another good documentary to watch. It is on HBO Max, if anybody has that. Uh, it is uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, 
it was done for HBO. That is a highly good documentary, and they bring that up and how Mister Rogers actually he was a pastor. He was a pastor's son, and his wife made him go to school or Bible school and everything, and he wore the long sleeves because that's what his mother made his own clothes, and that's what he wore. He was never a Navy SEAL. He was always in early childhood and uh, religious studies for college and everything, and then when he got his show, it just became one of those, like, he was a Navy SEAL. No, no. the tattoos. Yeah, But again, we're not talking facts, and you can continue in a second, but just really try and engage that phrase. Picture that grinning face and that red sweater <laughs> and just think to yourself, wow, Mr. Rogers passed buds. I'm laughing about it in my head and I, I can just see him doing like as he's doing the because you have to run like two miles with a log with like five or six other guys and you have to lift it up and then move it to your other shoulder and then press it up as you're running. It's one of the things you have to do. So imagine this <clears throat> skinny older man in a sweater vest <laughs> running down the beach. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's impressive as fuck. Absolutely. But the, the entire notion of a program like this is we are going to shape and hone you to be a fighting element in our tactical division, and you're giving up 15 years of your life to have a killer body for the next 10. And then you're going to fucking break, and then we'll either give you a desk job or discharge you with injuries. Next. Yep. I had a buddy who tried to go through uh, Bud, and he uh, he failed because, uh, according to him, one of the guys counted wrong. So you're supposed to do 82 sit-ups in like a minute and a half. And he's like, I did 85, and the guy told him 80. So... And he's like, no, I did 85. He's like, well, your buddy fucked you anyway, so we're right. We wrote down 80. That's what you get. And he's like, never went through it again. But he was a interpreter on a submarine for uh, Chinese interpreter for on a submarine. I'm gonna go ahead and say that was the official discharge reason, but that wasn't the real story. Similar to how Dan Bilzerian came this close to passing, allegedly, three yeah. times or something. That uh, what David Goggins went through three times. David Goggins. Do you know David Goggins? I'm about to. He is a uh, older man. He does ultra marathons. He's real famous, but his whole thing is like he cusses a lot. But his whole thing is like, "Don't you fucking give up? Today's your fucking birthday. Go out there and find something to fucking do, and you'll be fucking achieve it. Don't be a little bitch." And it's like, oh my god, like he is the authentic, like motivational speaker. Like when everybody else is like, "You can achieve whatever you want if you put your mind to it," he just goes out and is like, "Don't be a little bitch." Just go out there and fucking do it. Don't worry about it. Don't care if you freeze your fucking ass off. Just fucking do it. Like, oh my god. Who's more effective, him or Shia LaBeouf? Uh, fucking David Goggins, because David Goggins is a former Navy SEAL and uh, would probably rip my head off. But he, do he's, oh. he doesn't look huge, by the way. He's like a really skinny guy. So You don't... You don't have to look huge. Common misunderstanding. Mass does not equal actual threat. Oh, no. I, I, I get that doing the, the sport I just picked back up that we talked about. That is... Jits. jits. <laughs> you a... said it, not me. Forever that is marked by... Oh, yeah, Nutjex has got the jits. Excuse me. Oh, is he really good at contorting his body and, what, and, and moving weight around? Uh-huh. And then when does he poo his pants? Oh, that happens later. <laughs> That's after. We actually had someone throw up after like 10 minutes into it. We did the warm-ups, and all of a sudden, she had to go throw up. <laughs> I was like, yeah, hey. That seems reasonable, but again, there's a certain amount of glee that mostly men, but not exclusively, feel about uh, heavy physical load and feel like, yeah, man, I give it my all. But then when the thrill passes, you feel pretty miserable, and you're just told, this is part of the experience. How dare you besmirch the tradition of laying there just in pain and wanting to shit yourself? Yeah. <laughs> 
the reason we get good at the jits is that you expend minimal physical effort to achieve your effects. But it gets you super conditioned. Like, that's the one thing. Like, even if I could get the conditioning I had when I originally did it and put it now. Nope, sorry, everybody. Well, that, that was your body before two children. You know, it's really, it's it's hell in a man's body to become a father, twice over especially. Actually, I, I do hit the uh, American average of uh, gaining weight. Uh, you gain, uh, a male averages about 15 to 20 pounds per child that they have because they stop doing physical activity. Um, so I, I hit the, uh, from when I met her to uh, when we separated, it was about 50 pounds I gained. So I, almost, I was a little above average, 25 pounds per kid. I see. So with kid four, you're going to be 60 pounds up again. I hope not. Uh, this, this, is, this is free for, for po the, the popo, which I am, if anybody didn't know that, or police, depending on where you're at. Or, uh, so I get to train, and I'm very excited. It, it also, uh, by doing this, they've had statistics show that uh, injuries to officers and injuries to people that are trying to subdue to arrest are, are not, dropped significantly. Injuries to officers are dropped by, like, uh, they they put the number like almost like 120%. I'm like how do you have like that doesn't make any sense like it, it, how do you drop 120%? But I don't know what the statistics are. Um the of the increase rate or like over a 5 year period. And I believe it cuz you don't move your body all funny when you're under duress and stress. I get that. Yeah. Uh and the I support it. Did teach you like special maneuvers like how to use a car frame and a takedown? No, but I've done that though. I well I watched somebody do it when I was on FTO. Hit him with the door, put a dent in his door, and the guy fell and hit the ground. <laughs> then got right back up and started running again. Then I chased him. First first uh, foot chase I had to be on. And I kept up with him. I was highly, yeah. yeah, right behind him the whole time. Then I hit a tree branch and fell. He wily coyoted my ass, and the tree branch went back as he put through the bush. I went running through, and right as he came back, it, like, whacked me in my legs. But it hit me. I, I started stumbling across the dri uh, driveway. I did the roll that uh, I knew from Jiu-Jitsu and Hapkido. Rolled, popped right back up, and was right back on his butt again. And then he hit a fence and fell, and then I put him in a Kimura. Um, if nobody knows what a Kimura is, it is a shoulder lock uh, used on your arm. Which sounds weird. Oh, good. As opposed to a shoulder lock used on any other part of your body. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, did you nice. use your... Well, I'm saying, you, you use your arms to subdue their arms. You, there are shoulder locks you use with your legs. That is called an... Said that you were that close to saying seduce their arms. I would have been really down for you use your arms to seduce their arms. And they go, ooh, what's yeah. going on over here? <laughs> they, they they have a little tangly fest with each other. Uh, but back to uh, the original topic, which now I actually forget what the hell brought up David Goggins in this. Oh, muscle and everything. Um, David Goggins, uh, I've seen bits of the Joe Rogan podcast that he was on where he talked about it. Talked about what he did because when he went and joined and became a SEAL, he was 380 pounds. And within yeah. like... They were like, well, the next time you can go in to be a SEAL is in three months. Or he was 320 pounds, and he, they're like, you have to be like a buck 80 because you're prior military service. He dropped down to a buck 80 in those three months. That's a very rapid drop. Oh, it he's is. That is. That. He said, uh, if I remember correctly, and I, if I'm quoting this, I believe, uh, he was a working for Termex, spraying for rodents at a Denny's one day, and he just looked around and was like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So he went home, and he's like, I just ran every day, and I kept running, and I lost the weight, and I was doing push-ups, so I, I just pushed myself, because I knew I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. So he goes, I failed buds once from... And then he went through... He got injured the first time. No, he failed buds, the, the entrance exam, 
but because he signed up to be a Navy SEAL, they put him through again, got injured, put him back to week one again, and then he passed the third time. And now the guy's an ultra marathon runner who uh, runs with uh, diapers on because he's like ultra marathons. You run for like 24 to 48, maybe even 72 hours. So, so occasionally, That's crazy. You, yeah, That's crazy. Human beings shouldn't do that. They can. I'm sure you're giving up something to say I'm running for the next 20 hours. The next, the running for the next two hours in general, you really have to negotiate with your body to say we're distributing our energy in the following fashion. Uh, we have to reschedule all of our purging functions. We've got to do yada, 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 yada. Yeah, it's possible and it's super impressive. But these are statistical anomalies. Oh, they are. Con considering that running a marathon is already quite an achievement. In fact, some accounts say that the soldier expired because his heart exploded, but he made the run anyway. You know, those those short little Italians that don't run too good. Um, and now people say, well, I can run a triple marathon. I can run a quadruple marathon. Yes, you absolutely can. You could take the time to rebalance your checkbook, but this is more exciting. It is more exciting. Plus, you get to poop your pants. Who Plus, doesn't you like get to poop your pants. Who doesn't like pooping their pants? And if peeing your pants is cool, consider me Miles Davis, sir. Name that uh, movie. Would you want to be in that kind of shape? To say, I'm going to run until I hit the 10-mile marker. Now I'm going to double that to 20. Now I'm going to do it again. Now I'm just going to run for 24 hours straight. No, I would not want to be in that type of shape. I would actually be very, very stressed out if I did that. Sure. But you would get national acclaim. Isn't that worth something? You could be alone and famous. I could be. Or I could not do that and find fame some other way. I mean, who knows? Is, is, is fame the goal? Okay. No. That's what I was about to say. Is fame actually the goal in this? No. Like me doing jiu-jitsu is to become great and be in the world around known for doing jiu-jitsu. Nope. It is not known. I don't want to be known for that. I just want to be known as a, a decent human being who can do multiple things and learn many things and teach people when I need to. Cause at the end of the day, like I told a guy that I had to give a, a, a trespass to my job, isn't to make your life a living hell. It's my job is to teach you what not to do. So you don't get in trouble. That's I mean, a good perspective. And isn't that great that because of your extenuating circumstances, you want to just end that and say, I'm not doing this anymore for personal reasons. People might say, come on, Chucks, you're so good at making a positive difference in the world. You say, yeah, yeah, my kids, though. Yeah, no, there there, there will be a moment. Uh, I have been asked this multiple times. Do I plan on making this a career? My, my job now is a police officer. No, I do not. It was, it's not a bad career to get in, but I, it's, I realized that, hey, look, this isn't for me because the way I want to do things isn't the way that policing is done. Um. I'd much well, rather. Let's, let's be honest. If your sergeant ever heard you talking about fairy tale out loud, that that just that stunts any promotion path you might have had. Uh, no, he's already made fun of me because they asked me about my tattoos. So I told him I had the Dragon Ball and uh, my Ouroboros tattoo on the back of my calf. And the first thing out of his mouth was, "What? What? What do you have? Pokemon tattooed on your balls too?" And I'm like, "No, it's Yu-Gi-Oh." But well, whatever. But actually, yeah. <laughs> he laughed. He's like, "Jesus!" And they were like, "I didn't know you had tattoos." I was like, "I don't talk about it because." Like, it's not, yes, I like these shows, and yes, I have tattoos, but I'm not everybody. I don't want to flaunt them. Uh, it, yes, it's a cool art design. And Then why do you keep wearing shorts? Because shorts are comfortable down here where I live. It's hot as all get out. Stop flashing the tattoos. Wrap that shit up. I don't want to see that. It's disgusting. It's obscene. 
I've had somebody who knew what it was tell me that I was offensive and culturally appropriating something once. And that was, it was just like, okay, like that's your yeah, opinion. I was, I was asked that recently by somebody else too, saying, what's your stance on the concept of culturally appropriated tattoos? And I had to launch in a, in a mini drivel fest saying, well, of course it is. I mean, once upon a time, tattooing was more difficult and was reserved for very specific purposes to mark you as part of an order, to punish you, to flaunt you to others as being a representative of whatever the tattoo was meant by. And then it became significantly easier to manufacture and reproduce. And little by little, people said, ooh, that looked good on me. Yeah, paint me. So when, when it became more and more common, it's not even considered in terms of purpose. It's usually something that you feel good about on the outside. And then 30 to 40 years pass and you have to awkwardly explain your tattoos yeah. uh so i'm gonna give you a fun fact about tattooing uh do you know how tattooing the the modern day tattoo ink pen got started uh i don't please mr chucks educate me uh so do you know we i'm assuming everybody who's listening to this uh i could be wrong there are some european listeners hi to you guys um thomas edison created the auto pen for secretaries to write faster and what this auto pen did was there was an ink well and at the bottom of it was the pen part. And what it would do was it go in and take the ink and you would it would help you write. And you didn't have to move your wrist as much. You just had to just slowly keep your hand a little bit above. So it saved time and it could write faster and neater. Um, a Irish uh, immigrant to America, I believe, saw a Thomas Edison auto pen in 1909. And he owned a tattoo parlor and made, did tattoos. And he saw it and decided to modify it to make it where the needle was. And it could take the ink and it could dab the ink into your skin. Uh, so that is one of the ways that modern day tattooing got started. I think it was just a cool little neat thing to throw out there. So what I heard you say is Thomas Edison uh, cajoled and swindled someone out of a design and filed a patent, and someone else saw his idea and misappropriated it as well to serve their needs. That's that's what I'm hearing. Correct. The history of litigation and corruption within the patent office, which... Is about as honest as most tattoos. So here we go. So with I, I shit on them ex like with too much fervor, too much gusto, and that's maybe because uh, my entire personality is significantly more drawn into what composes you internally versus what is on the outside. But I could totally see someone embracing a different lifestyle, and I like to pair that with some tattoos being super significant and really enjoyable. I think I brought this up before, Chucks, but there was uh, a couple of years ago there was a customer. Older guy, we didn't speak. He was wearing a sleeveless top. And upon his right shoulder was a tattoo that very specifically intimated, if not told me a story about this person. And the tattoo was of a rescue chopper over some islands in the Blue Cross logo silhouette. And it was tasteful. It was colorful. It was well-drawn. And so specific, I immediately believed that even if it's a lie, it paints a picture of a man having spent time within a certain role that meant a lot to him, that time is over now, and he remembers and displays it proudly. That is a completely commendable tattoo, because it is well executed, it is placed well, and it means something. I like that. I mean, nothing wrong with your Dragon Ball. Uh, it means a little bit less to me, by comparison. Oh, no, no. It has no significant meaning like that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, tattoos, to me, are a form of art. Uh, I do not get tattoos like some people that think travel bands are cool, that that's your thing, that's your thing. I do not find them cool. Uh, I wanted to get tattoos that symbolize something that I liked and I enjoyed. 
Uh, so I got a Dragon Ball on my right arm and then a Ouroboros tattoo from Fullman Alchemist on my calf. So, many stars on your Dragon Ball? It's a one star. So uh, I never did I ever tell you the story behind why I got the Dragon Ball on my arm? I mean, you might have, but let's do it in front of the camera. All right, let's do it in front of the microphone. Yeah, slash microphone while Resident Evil's in the background for everybody on YouTube. Um, so I was 18, and I always wanted to get a Dragon Ball. So I convinced my seven closest friends that we were all really good friends with to get a Dragon Ball with me. And they all said, we all called them out, and I'm like, well, the only ones left the one star because, you know, I'll take the one star. Um, it's your number one. Yep. So a couple years later, I'm... Uh, I have a kid. It's two weeks old. I go in. I get my tax return. Um, the kid's mom went with me, and her thing was, I want to get my daughter's name tattooed on my back. And the guy looks at me. He's like, what are you getting? I'm like, well, I'm going to do the one thing I always said I was going to do. I'm getting a Dragon Ball because I love Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball is my favorite anime. And at the time, I had not watched Full Metal Alchemist, uh, which is now my favorite anime. Um so he's like, well, what do you want? So I was like, I want a Dragon Ball. So they print out a picture and my tattoo, uh, because there was glare, he did white paint on the top of it and yellow and orange with the red one star in the middle outlined in yellow, like the wow. picture. Uh, it is now <laughs> highly faded. So when I go back, uh, I need to get it touched up and I uh, want to get it darkened a little bit and have the white painted over if, it, if that's possible. And get that done. Uh, the Ouroboros tattoo I got uh, at a comic book convention. Oh, excuse me. I got it the, the day before my brother's wedding. And it looked like a my 10-year-old daughter drew it. I mean, there's spots missing. And it's never good when you're a tattoo artist. I was doing it for my old roommate's girlfriend. It's not good when your tattoo artist has clearly <laughs> suffered at least one stroke in their life. That is true, too. She just said, I got out of my apprenticeship. I want to do your tattoo. And I said, I want the Ouroboros tattoo. And she's like, can I do it in black outline? I'm like, I kind of want to stick it, stick to how it is in the anime, just read all through. And she's like, that's going to be really hard. Well, halfway into it, she goes, Hey, I can't tell where you're bleeding and the ink is. I'm just kind of going back over stuff. And it was done bad. So about three years later, I went to a comic book convention in Portland, Oregon, and they were doing tattoos there. And I showed the guy my tattoo and he goes, dear God, what did your daughter do it? I'm like, no, it was my friend's. It was in her apartment, by the way. I was laying on a workout bench when she the first time it was done. Uh, the story just keeps getting better. I love it. It does. Uh, and this guy, who I cannot remember his name, uh, was a huge Harry Potter fan. And so him and the kid's mom were talking about Harry Potter while he's tattooing my leg. And I'm watching Crash Course because at the time I discovered Crash Course. And I wanted to rewatch Crash Course histories from beginning to end because it was roughly a little over two hours when you get the full video, uh, all the videos done. And so I'm watching that, and he's tattooing away, and he's like, I want to do it as if it's been burned onto your skin. So now... It... He's told you. He told you that he was going to retouch your tattoo, but in reality, he traced Dobby over it. Uh, unfortunately, he did not. Um, he he did it like he said he was going to do, and I like it. I like the way it looks now. He's like, it was shit beforehand. I only can improve a little bit on something that was already shit. I'm like, I get it. I'm like, it's a thousand times better, though. And that's what this guy does for a living. He travels to Europe. He travels all over the place to do tattoos for people. But his main shop's in Maine. Big, huge biker guy. Nicest dude in the world, though. Uh, and I have recently gone in to find out how much it's going to cost because I want to do two more tattoos. Uh, I don't think I've told you this either. I want to get the alchemic cross that's on the back of Edward's uh, cape that he wears, which is a cross with a snake wrapped around it in a circle 
on my left calf in the ki same kind of style. And I want to get uh, Shinron completely tattooed on my back. And I got a quoted price of $550 by a guy Why named Shenron? Donut. My Shinron? Uh, my love for Dragon Ball and the uh, awesomeness when Shinron comes up. So I want like the lightning and the dark background and him popping up with the Dragon Balls on my lower back. So it is. Oh, you're, you're talking about the GT version, right? Where he's uh, anthropomorphized? No, not, not Omega Shinron, unfortunately. Yeah, that, that's the coolest one. GT doesn't exist anymore, sir. Oh, oh, it exists. <laughs> it's not. Where you know, it exists? It exists in that tournament of the gods, but it's behind some of the others. It was disqualified in the opening rounds. Um, they're scrubs, but they exist. Yes. You can't deny that because if you have the gods of destruction, high five, and Goku's uh, unmentionables, then I imagine there's some relationship between all those other wacky places. But yes, I, uh, I, I want to get those. It's, it's. I, I stick to the things that I love and the shows that I like to watch. Um, You're right. Never, never broaden your horizons. Never venture out <laughs> anything new and just stay with what you know. It's the best approach. Well, no, for tattoos, I, I, those are those are my favorite shows, and I just I want like to get a grunt tattoo. Say, I do actually. I want to get the flag tattooed across my chest. <laughs> there you go. I just do. put some blue stripes on there, corner to corner. It'd be great. Maybe some stars. Yeah, I want to get the the big the, the big skull picture across my chest with the the big waves or the big sunglasses coming off. Yeah, that'll but, cover your pepperonis. It, probably not. I, I hope they do not uh, tattoo my nipples. That, I hear that hurts really bad. You got to commit, buddy. I do. Suffer for your art. Some people do. Uh, I may. What about you, Sarah? You're, you're, I'm assuming you don't ever want to get a tattoo. I've thought about it. Uh, my skin is very Slavically dotted with all sorts of dermal events, which can be called uh, marks, moles, whatever you like. So I don't have a huge amount of open space without interruption, and I don't want to try to shoehorn tattoos into wherever they fit. The idea is satisfying, but I have a very difficult time resolving them as, mm, as honest, outside of vein decoration. It, it is a vein decoration. I'm, I'll admit that on my end. It's a vein decoration of the stuff I love, so... It doesn't have to be, but let's say if I were indoctrinated into some sort of death cult where there's only one way I'm getting out and that's in a body bag, then at that point, yeah, mark me as such. That's my life now. That's all I've got. Or if I, well, it's cheesy, I suppose, but marking the loss of a loved one could be a reason to do something else in memory. Uh, basically, as long as the tattoo has a strong emotional significance, it could work. I did see something that I did enjoy, at least psychologically, which was a cameo-style tattoo. So it's a, a shape, a hexagon, ruby, diamond, whatever you want. But it's a cameo uh, portrait frame that features what you want inside. And somebody did a very good Gundam version of that. I thought, by golly, I could rock that. I could definitely wear that. And people would say, hey, what's that? What kind of robot is that? And I'll just info dump on them until they leave me the fuck alone. So it's a great conversation starter and ender, I suppose. But then the question of placement comes in, because I've got to think about symmetry, which is completely stupid, because human beings are not symmetrical, not really. Uh, and I'd want to have it placed ever so uh, centered or offset. So because of all those hangups, I just don't think it's a great path for me. In a similar that. fact, I get that people really enjoy piercings, and uh, I've never been able to get past the snagability factor it's 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 just a bad time if somebody doesn't like you. That's that's free bleed damage on whoever has deft hands that can get within their reach. So I'm going to tell you about a dumb thing I wanted to do when I was 
late teens, so 18, 19, right before I had my kid. So I was growing out my beard. Hold uh, on. No. Prince Albert. No, that hurts. Okay, go on. Just as dumb, though. Um, so I was growing out my beard, and I wanted to do Viking braids. I realize now that would be really dumb. But I was growing that out, and I wanted to get what they call viper viper bites. So two little piercings right in the middle of your lip. Yeah, it's because uh, Disturbed was very popular at that point. I forgot he had those. But, yeah. So imagine me, because you know what I look like. Uh, yeah. And the people, some of the people who listen to this know what I look like. Uh, a, a six foot tall at the time, 190 pounds, well in shape guy with Viking braided beard and fucking vi- you, viper bikes. Uh, viper you bites. So, you get so much ass, so much unwarranted ass. <laughs> but I look you, back at it now, I'm like, that uh, okay, I guess this is happening. Whatever. You won next. You won next. Okay, fine. We'll do next. I don't know why this is working. Yeah. But because I, it's the right kind of just it's it's if you were to get like a teardrop tattoo along with that or something that just sends all the signals to all the right kind of company you don't want long term, but it would be very satisfying to your ego at that time. It it would have been. Um, I was also real big into the metal scene at the time, so I was going to metal shows with my buddies and stuff. So I was like, yeah, I think this is cool. But then I like I said, when you get older, you look back and you're just like, was I an idiot? Well, listen, yeah. It costs money and a certain degree of suffering. Not a huge degree. People do it all the time. But to mark yourself for an image that is for all intents and purposes meant to be permanent. But if you also had a reasonably convenient uninstall fee that didn't involve traumatizing your skin further, sure, people would be able to put tattoos on like jackets and then take them off forever or play with them and modify them like skins in, in virtual games. At that point, the thing means even less but it's actually just an accessory that you get to wear for whatever purposes you need. No. And the entire attitude would also shift into a, a society that just means to say, well, what, what inks go well with this ensemble? Who am I going to see? Uh, what am I trying to convey? Etc. So with you me, know, it's just I'm a big nerd. Like, I like these shows. This is what I like when I do stuff like that. Like, this is what I'm into. Yeah, for I, a while. Yeah. Unless you want from that and they say hey man you a big uh, fma fan nah what no nah, not anymore what happened well they released season four and uh that was a mistake and i just i, I renounce all of my affection they are did... you gonna change your tattoo no no i gotta own my mistakes no they, they did the live action film I, I gotta deal with it now it's terrible but yeah. they cast idris elba as ulrich i just couldn't deal with that <laughs> as awesome as it was stringer bell was not my favorite blonde candidate you know they kept the wig too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, ta- you- tattoo- tattoos are insightful. It's it's a little bit like Hans Landa in the beginning of Inglorious Bastards. Facts can be so misleading, but rumors, right or wrong, are oftentimes very revealing. That's- so too are tattoos. That is true. Uh- there was a a girl that I was sitting next to on an airline flight at one point. That also had a memorable tattoo. We didn't speak very much. It was, you know, masks and such make it really awkward because people are afraid of dying for reasons. But I did ask because she had a tattoo on her left wrist. And where the tattoo was placed, it was a very specific orientation on, on the wrist. And so I asked her, you know, you've got a, this is a chemical readout. This is a molecular structure. You want to tell me what that's about? Would you be, please tell me what your tattoo is about? And basically, I think it was caffeine. It wasn't cortisol, but it would have been, yeah, caffeine, dopamine, and uh, serotonin. Which, the tattoos looked well laid out. 
the molecular structures were clean and neat. I enjoyed that. Those three chemicals are what keep you going. So, of course, put those three in the most slashable place on your forearm to remind you to not do that because those three highs are worth chasing. And that's that's the right amount of hurt girl energy to portray to the world because if they don't know, hey, cool tattoo. If they do know, wow, you've seen some shit, I think. Well, glad you're better now. Again, an example of well-implemented vanity. So, I, with my Ouroboros tattoo on the back of my calf, I get more compliments on that one. Like, dude, that's so cool. And I'm glad people think it's cool. But I recently, since I've moved back to where I grew up, a lot of people are like, yo, dude, is that is that that? I'm like, yeah, it's their Ouroboros tattoo. And they're like, and they'll show me. Like, they get, like, the Ouroboros tattoo on their palm, and on the other palm, they'll have uh, Roy Mustang's lizard uh, alchemic uh, symbol. It's essentially a lizard inside what the, the alchemic circle is supposed to be, how you can transmutate in the show. And I'm like, oh, that's that's cool, but, you know, it's on your hands. Where I go to work, I can hide it. But I'm like, hey, to each their own. Like, you, dude, it's so sick, though. It's like, it's so cool. Validate me, damn it. No, we talk about it. And I, most people are like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm like, yeah, the show is great. And they're like, yeah, but the tattoo. I'm like, yeah, the show's great, too. Like, that's, it's not just because I think the image is cool. It's because I think the show is great, too. Yeah, so that's why I got my tattoo. But uh, I like I said, I, no one ever sees the Dragon Ball in my arm because it's covered up by sleeves because, you know, I didn't. At the time, you're always told, hey, don't have visible tattoo. When it, about 12 years ago, don't have visible tattoos because if you go to a job and you have visible tattoos, people are going to think real bad of you. So I put it up on my upper arm. I wanted it to cover up uh, this ugly-ass-looking deformed mole that I have on my arm, but the guy goes, I can just leave that in the middle of the star, but I can't paint over it. Like, you can't paint over moles. That's not how that works. I'm like... You can. You shouldn't, but you can. Essentially, what he said, the ink doesn't stay and the ink will come out and like after like the first or second wash. So he's like, it's not worth it. You're wasting money for me to do that. And I'm like, okay, we'll move it up then. So it's close to my top of my shoulder and I will forever cherish it. And uh, hopefully have it colored in here by a guy named Donut here in a few months who lives on the Virgin Islands. <laughs> good, yeah. good handle. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if you go by the name Donut, you got to be a great tattoo artist with a name like that. That or you're a big fan of Red versus Blue. I didn't think about that. I forgot it, that was one of the characters' names. But he, uh, I thought it was going to be like this big, huge, big, like a big, big person, like beer gut and everything. The dude is like small and maybe like an inch or two taller than I am. So I'm just like, you're not what I thought when someone named Donut. But cool. So let, me, let me ask you then, since you, the physical impression you get from a person attached to the trade that they're associated with can make an immediate emotional reaction before your mind prevails. So when you have highly recognized chefs, if they're itty-bitty people, you kind of get a sense of distrust because how can you love food if you're not showing signs of really enjoying food, right? Is there... If Donut looks like he works at a cell phone company or an accounting firm, do you trust them less by their, their undemonstrated ability to create tattoos? Before you see any evidence, you just look at them and say, oh, really? You though? Hmm. And then, no. of course... Reality dictates what actually happens, but there's that initial gut reaction of, ah, I made a mistake. Nope. So with him, he did, uh, the guy who owns a business with my dad and my dad's tattoo, and uh, his the guy who owns a business wife, he did her tattoo. So I, I've, I got to see the tattoos he's done, and every tattoo he's done is really well done. So I was like, okay, even if he doesn't look like what I thought, he does have tattoos on him. So I was like, 
the yeah. the portfolio speaks for the person's actual talent. And this is just more of those before the brain gets involved, you just get your gut reaction. Yeah. And he could tell that I was like, this is you're not the person I was expecting. And he's like, no, I'm donut. Trust me. I'm, I'm, I'm donut. I'm like, no, I believe you. Don't get me wrong. Just not what I was expecting. Um, but no, like anytime, like if someone came walking into a tattoo parlor and was like, yeah, I do tattoos and they were in a suit, you know, what work do you have? Let me see your work because I'm going to trust your work more than I am just based off what you look like. For all I know, once you take that suit off, you got tattoos all over you and people come to you because someone most of the time has recommended a field like that to you because of the person, not what they look like. But I'll have that image in my head with a nickname, or if that's your actual name. I don't know if that's his actual name. I'm assuming it's a nickname. And if his real name you, is Donut. You, you hope it's a nickname. Yeah. But if your real name is Donut. That's why you ran away from home. This all makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I, he looks like he does good work. I've seen multiple people like that. You don't expect these people. Certain people do things. And you're just like, with like uh, let's take Anthony Bourdain, a tall, lanky man who can cook and enjoys food like you said like you don't show that you enjoy food when I mean, you're skinny but the difference is anthony has got telltale signs of being a career drug abuser so you know that guy likes food oh yeah and you got uh let's let's take gordon ramsay gordon ramsay a medium-sized built man he's not fat he's not skinny but he likes food he has a passion for it so i don't take when somebody pops up on my tv screen like a super fat guy like that guy knows food because he eats food. No, he just likes the taste of food. What does he know about the food industry? Can you tell me why these flavors do these things to my palate when I taste them and the way I taste them? And how could he improve it? So you may be 600 pounds and you like food, but does that mean you actually know food? No. no you you got to get a guy who's a completely accomplished chef and critic also happens to be bulimic. So his teeth are shit. But the dude understands flavor. In fact, he cooks in such a way that feels good coming in and going out. That would be nice. The, the years it's, it's something you didn't know you needed in your life. Yeah. Like, hmm, I still get the hint of the mango chipotle as it comes out of my mouth. Like, hmm. You got the chunk in his dress right that it passes easily, but the but the kernels get stuck in my teeth when I pick them out. It's little pops of sugar. Oh. You're you're a clever man. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I'll trust anybody. Like, there are people out there that, like, when you think construction worker, you think, like, a, a super tan white guy or and who wears holy, like, ripped up jeans and isn't anything. Like, he probably doesn't make a lot of money, but they do really good work. And, but if you see a guy who's really well cleaned up and everything, and all of a sudden you're like, you're, you're, contra you're you do construction work. Yep. It throws you off. But until you see what he does, I'm not going to judge him. I'm just going to go, okay, you know what? That's your, this is what you're you not do. A, you're not a brick mason. You're not a carpenter. Ah, you're a logistics guy. I gotcha. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he takes. I like to refer back to that old Adam Carolla bit, whatever that happens. And again, I don't know how well you think it's aged. It says every time, every work site he's ever been on in California looks the same way. It's going to be about 17 Mexicans and three racists named Mike. Uh, I can confirm that from down here, too. <laughs> if you go on a big construction site, that is how it's going to be. And the three mics are going to be the supervisors, and the 17 Mexicans are going to be the ones doing all the work and getting it done very fast and done very well. Because that's all they've done their whole life, because they get paid cash 
And it's just like, hey, look, it's easy money. I can make it. Uh, and hard to trace. Very important. Mm -hmm. It yeah. doesn't help them get a car loan, but the family makes it by no matter what. Yep. And they raise their kids as wide as they can. Mija, you got to get the degree. Yeah. You got you to gotta stick. Just just push through and get it done. And most of them are some of the coolest dudes you'll ever get to meet. Absolutely. But that's because you have a certain parameter where you don't just you don't just schlep to work because you, you don't like the work and it sucks. You invest yourself in everything you participate in. And whether people give you a hard time or praise you, you feel it's worth doing, you do it well, and the results tend to speak for themselves. Until Mike steps in and goes, yeah, that, that ain't going to work, Pablo. You're going to have to strip out all these studs right here and get them back on center. I told you, amigo, on center, right on that 18. I told we talked about this last week. And the workers just look at each other going, yeah, just, do you want to take another head of Coke in the trailer? Just forget all about this. You know, Let me do my job, please. Essentially. <laughs> now, when I worked with them, it was mainly with my dad and his business. And it was, hey, you guys are coming in here to install the windows. Is anybody named Mike? <laughs> I th believe the supervisor at the time was named Mike. Oh, good. good. He, was, he was an old asshole who didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. And he just sat there and you go, okay, but like you go over there like, oh, well, you can't put the windows in yet. I'm like, yeah, look, the windows are scheduled for today. You knew that timeline and you fucked up. And you're telling me the guy who's technically building this house and you're just the supervisor is wanting these fucking windows in. And he told us the same thing. We're putting the fucking windows in. You figure out how to put the drywall up now. You fucked up. So suck my dick. And so all of a sudden, all the Latinos are like, hey, you need the drywall up? Yep. Like, we'll get it done today. And when we came back, we came back at two days later. We're like, there's no fucking way they're going to get a whole house done and a drywall done in that time. Um, they put the flooring in because that's what Mike told them to do. And it fucked up the flooring because there's no goddamn roof on. <laughs> so they, they put the roof on. They were like, we're getting the roof finished up today. Like, yeah, tomorrow we'll knock out the drywall. And no shit, man. It was done. And you're just like, oh, fuck. Okay. And it was done very well. We all looked around. We're like, dope. Let's put the windows in. As much as it is a stereotype, it regrettably tends to be fairly true. In order to run things well, at least on the clean books, there has to be a staffer, part-time or full-time, logging the Latino work crews in and out of lunch break. Because yes. they don't. They just keep working. They may slow down, but they say, you want all these units done with the drywall today? Okay, it'll get done. And then they get it done. And then they don't say anything. They just leave. Because they understand that the work has been out of scope. It, it, less could have been done today. But you put them in a position to deliver. They have delivered. So they're going to go home, smack around their kids, say their prayers, and be back tomorrow to uh, roof something. Uh, they Like I said, I, I didn't understand how the hell they got it done that fast. They're like... Oh, such and such was upstairs. They were like seven of the guys were upstairs, and the other ten were downstairs putting up the drywall. Like, I'll what? tell you exactly how. I'll tell you exactly how. No seconds of the workday were spared saying things like, "So did you catch the game last night?" Yeah, it's amazing how much more you get done when you don't pause. Well, yeah, no, they they talk to each other, which was kind of cool, but they work at the same time. Unlike yeah, the, hand, the hands keep moving. That's a <laughs> that's a key factor. Yeah, they were like, oh, wait, we got to get this done? No, no. Let's talk about whatever we're talking about, and then let's mud, and then we know once we're done at 5 o'clock, we'll, uh, we'll have a six-pack of Bud Lights each for each of us, and we'll be good to go. And you just go, okay. Like, this is how you guys do it. And we put our windows in and got out, and we're just like, okie-dokie. And then they came back and re-squared the windows and then left quietly. No, they, they didn't. They 
they were, that was the one thing they didn't know how to do. They're like, they can do it. Like, we'll figure it oh, out. Oh, yeah. Oh, they know. But they can't let you know they know. Well, they didn't like work for that guy either. They're like, oh, because when I was helping my dad, they were like, yeah, we plan on leaving this fuckhead after this job. Like, he's an asshole. <laughs> like, I can't do another job site with him. I'm like, yeah, there's plenty of construction companies out there. Like, oh, we know. And there's some of them that got jobs on base making decent money building pallets. Hey, good for them. Yeah. Like, somebody, hey, somebody has to make pallets. This is true. They're 18 bucks an hour to make pallets? Where do I yeah. sign? <laughs> well, good for a while. Yeah. As a. I continuously make the same error as I'm looking for. Well, what kind of what kind of job can scale with future progression? What what is my what is my ascendancy path here? Meanwhile, a buddy of mine that um, just hoofs it around, works hard, and asks no questions because, dude, there's fucking there's signs everywhere. Help, Nina, just take a sign like that. Maybe you're right. Maybe all that needs to happen is, yeah, I'll sock it in for eighteen dollars an hour. I don't care what it is that I do. I just I'll, I'll provide labor. That doesn't sound too good, but needs must. As opposed to, well, where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully not fucking doing this. Hired. No one's taking my job. Uh, it's it's bizarre. Yeah, it, but th- I increasingly, as time goes on, I'm less and less of an authority of how things are supposed to be going because I have all these weird notions based on material analysis. And uh, the market is working very hard to let me know I'm wrong. Yeah, I got lucky, I guess, with mine. Good. Ride that luck for as hard as you can. Don't feel bad about it even for a second. Oh, God. Do the thing. Oh, I do not. I do not feel bad at all. Because I got hired on with four people, and out of the four people, I was the only one to go to mandate. So I was like, the other two became booking officers, and the other guy was like, "Uh, I don't want to work here because you guys don't pay me enough. Mm -hmm. And I was like, luckily, you're a fairy tale enthusiast, so your, your level is pretty low here. Yeah. It won't take much to... I mean, it will take a lot for you to say, I can't do this, like me. Oh, yeah, no, that was that was my whole thing. Like, I, I can't do it. Like, no, I'll learn. That was my first thing. Like, well, it... Uh, and it surprised me how well they... I guess with this, I it's not the same as where we used to work, where it's like, hey, we need you here because somebody called out. Your, your position, we, we need you here because you're the head over that position. So we... Like, I, I get it's your kid's birthday, but I kind of need you in. Or I kind of need Hello. you to... Hello, worker man. This is middle management. We don't have a plan. We are reacting to an emergency. Would you like to be the fix-all? I'm sorry, I can't hear your answer over you getting fired. Right, good. Well, we agree. Exactly. Please stand for further reassignments in the middle of this particular solution. But uh, I, I had I mentioned to them that I had a meeting for my kid, and they're like, no, take, no, no, no. You're going on detail. What time you have to be there? Okay, yeah, no, fuck that. You're going to it. What? I'm like, say that again? They're like, no. Kids come first, you come second, this job comes third. I don't give a fuck who you are. No, no, no. See, I came first, then the kids happened. I came so close to making that, but that was like my supervisor, supervisor. So you, I don't know know him well enough to be like, let me make a sex pun and see if you get it. You're good. <laughs> but he was like, no, nah, you're good. And to hear that, it just blew my mind how they were like, oh, no, no, no. Like, your kids come first, dude. Get the fuck out of here when you got to go. I'm like, that does feel good. That yeah. That's good to hear. And then to hear that, oh, you're not one of the three people he doesn't want on there. I'm like, oh my god, yay! Squeaking by, all right. <laughs> I'm not as big as fuck up as I thought. They're, <laughs> and he likes to reiterate that to me, like, you're you're not doing bad. You improve every day. So there's a fucking, you're fine. I tell you one thing that you fucked up on, and you listen and you fix it. Most people can't do that. I'm like, 
I don't I don't know if that's an achievement I should be happy about or disappointed in. <laughs> is that what I is that what you need to hear from me to learn and improve when it comes to channel matters? Because if if it works for you in a work setting, then maybe that's what we have to do here is attach a thread of work ethic. That may be. That may help me out. Well, well, Chucks, I'm sorry, but your scorecard is going to reflect these particular... No, 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 no. I'll do better. I'll do better. I improve. Essentially how I look at any job when I'm doing a job for money. It's how do I improve to help everyone out? No. Yeah, you're right. Money has to happen here first. Yeah. Uh, tell you what. Do you want to do the OnlyFans or should I? Uh, as long as I can dress up as a banana, I'm fine with doing the OnlyFans. Whose ass is firmer? <laughs> Uh, probably yours right now. <laughs> Ain't mine. Funny story. Um, my wife was working from home last week. I think it was last week. And I wanted to make her some delicious midday bacon. And lo and behold, I turn around for a second. I got headphones on and I'm busy at the stove. And I look back and I see her skittishly turn away with her phone. Look at me very guiltily. I ask, what's up? Turns out she had taken a, uh, a little short video. Of me, kind of shifting my weight side to side. And just the boxers. And she was going to send that to all of her friends. I thought, oh, great. I feel used. But if that gets you clout, sure. Leverage my ass for social approval. That's, that's, how, uh, that's how all jobs are, aren't they? You got to leverage some ass to social approval, right? I, I thought we were the wrong gender to do that. But I guess modern times require modern solutions. Yeah. We, we, we might be. And how dare you ginger me, sir? <laughs> it's an exciting time. It's fucking weird, but it's an exciting time. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, no, the here. He, so, let's go back to the part where you didn't watch Jinro. Oh yeah, I'm terribly sorry. You told me to watch this uh, show, Jinro Wolf Brigade, and uh, I started it for 15 minutes, and then I went, "I'm going to watch this" because I had something to do, and then I never got back to it, and I never had I time. How did it not hook you if you made it 15 minutes in? By the time you hit the police riot scene, I would have figured you were invested. I started fading in and out. And that's okay. that's not on the show. That's on me for some reason. I'm like, I'm going to watch this. Your, your brain said, ew, old animation. This sucks. My brain said, all right, hit play. You're tired. Damn it. Okay. In the, in the coming week, do you think you'll take a look at it? Because it's one of those examples of storytelling and portrayal that I really like to examine as an adult. Yes. Uh, and it's certainly not uh, uh, Eden's Clover Zero. Or, I'm sorry, Blacktail. Uh, Blacktail uh, Fairy Family? Yeah, it's Eden's uh, Silent Voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's... Well, no, Silent Voice is even ahead of this shit. I know. Silent is. Voice. I did not watch uh, It Bubbles Up. I didn't watch that one. Maybe this week I will. It's been a weird and fucky week for me. Um, would you like to hear a little more impressions that I have on Metro Exodus? I do, actually. Okay. I ended up finishing Metro Exodus. I didn't explicitly read ahead or hope for this, but I ended up getting what the game interprets as the best ending. It is... I still stand by the claim of Slav Cry. With the three major activity hubs in the game, you get swamps. Well, call it water-flooded plains. Then you get uh, Mad Max Desert. Then you get lush, overgrown forest river valley. 
And then as a minor spoiler, the last area that you go to, as stakes become increasingly tense since you're running out of time and your crew members will die if you don't get a solution, it's called Dead City. And Dead City is a much more linear section, significantly much more linear. But it also brings back all of the previous metros because you spend a lot of time inside buildings and among ruined city streets. You witness many more anomalies that previously were a hallmark of the series, such as silhouettes of people that have died in nuclear fire, or more appropriately, I hope you like this kind of stuff, Chucks, you'll come across dead bodies in rail cars that have been there for quite a long time, and these bodies are uh, dressed up in tack gear with munitions. And you'll just see silhouettes of children standing around them, looking down, trying to call them back. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think it's a pretty good flavor take on echoes of what happened before. It is, like, holy shit. And it gets reasonably dour. You and a key character from your crew separate during the last major sequence. <laughs> and basically, your player character, as you survive, does his very best to limp his way back home. And depending on your choices, who, is, who stayed with your crew, what you've been through, uh, there is a desperate gamble to save your life, first person. And what differs, and I actually would like to see what the bad ending is, is what you deliriously, as your player character, see in your head as you're trying to lay in bed and recover. And a minor spoiler, since this, I think this is the last game they'll ever do in the cycle, that determines whether your character lives or dies. But what you end up seeing is also fairly impactful, and I'm surprised by having read the synopsis that with the bad ending, you actually get cameos of characters from previous games that are not in this game at all as a means of maybe trying to reconcile your prior mistakes and fighting for any kind of control and leverage. So the ending is fairly bittersweet, very appropriate for a dour Slavic game, but I think I enjoyed however they came together, how it landed. I'm not a huge fan of stealth sequences, especially first-person games, unless the game is built to be that way. You know, here it's Stealth works until the first shots start flying, but the game starts throwing enemies at you that are clearly have big, bad trouble written all over them. And yeah, you can spend half of your ammunition's arsenal uh, pumping lead into them, but the idea is just don't get seen. Just just crawl past. It'll be better this way. It's more tense. Very Resident Evil. You'd love it. But what I'd also like to say, first of all, with the core game, with my experience with it, I was kind of tempted to play it immediately again, but I'd rather do so on PC for control purposes because twin-stick shooting in an FPS that's made to be kind of sloppy and heavy just doesn't feel great. Hmm. But I was substantially more satisfied with Exodus than I thought it would be. I thought it would be a much bigger cash-in, and I thought it would be way more Fallout 4-y. And some of that is there. You're, you're, you're taking in mountains of scrap so that by the time that you are later in your campaign, there's a big four-digit number reading out your available resources, so you're not necessarily doing everything possible to strap the last of what you have to make more improvised ammunition, you're fine. It's plentiful. I imagine if on the highest difficulties, it's much more scarce. But I didn't have the same sort of tension as I did in the re Resident Evil 2 remake, where, dude, two shotgun shells, four bullets, one flashbang, and a green herb. I don't know, figure it out. Here, I never felt shy in terms of my solutions. But I did deliberately deliberately, capital D, take great efforts to not kill any people. Which was not easy. 
because some of those people really felt highly shootable. They, they, they begged to be killed. But I had to resort to many punching and takedowns. So there, there's at least 200 people out there with aching jaws and tummies after getting punched by Artyom. Can you guess why, Chucks? Because um, you wanted the good ending? Mm-hmm. So I you... was hoping there would be a good ending. And yes, the game <laughs> continues the series' legacy of a hidden morality system that I imagine most American players especially will not acknowledge and despise and say, oh no, why did, I, why did this happen? But uh, this isn't Far Cry. You're not a you're not an unhinged psychopath shooting everyone. Monsters, I mean, they gotta take lead. They won't stop. People, though, sometimes they do. And if you can be kind, then you might not be admonished by your teammates that are saying, really, dude? You, you had to kill them all twice? Damn, son. You got issues. What's your wife gonna say? But what I did not expect, Chucks, in the least, is I think that Metro Exodus joins a fairly limited and exclusive club, which is the first-person shooter game category where the DLC is of surprisingly high quality and matters. There are two campaigns that came with this game that I was able to get my hold of. Uh, one was called The Two Colonels, and the other is called uh, Sam's Story. And typically, like when I think of good DLC for first-person games, I'm thinking of Fallout games, Fallout New Vegas, and somewhat Fallout 3, where those DLC episodes either wove a story together or were a decent reprieve from the uh, Tundra, excuse me, the Wasteland, where you were to begin with. Uh, Two Colonels takes place during the last chapter of the campaign, but it takes place as a character that you've never met. You meet his kid, and the kid attaches to one of your NPCs. But you get the kind of a summary of events that caused the downfall of the station where you are. And this is a security colonel who is trying to hold the population together the best way he knows how. But basically, you get levels of the situation worsening as things go on. And uh, as you might guess, doesn't have a happy ending, but it's reasonably short and very atmospheric because you get, again, that taste of living in the subway, much more Metro One flavor. When you get to deal with people in cramped corridors, you know, manage to keep two pigs alive, and it's important that bacon keeps happening. And they talk about, yeah, you know, in about six months, this tunnel's going to flood in. Oh, but we're going to have to use boats to get across. And your main character has to then use boats to get across after everything's gone down. So it's, it's a good flavor setter, I suppose. Uh, whereas the Sam story, I mentioned to you last time that Sam is a character that is an import. He's an American Marine that got stuck on this side of things when Judgment Day happened. And I mentioned to you that he speaks immigrant Russian. And it actually just continues to be a further delight as the campaign goes on, because this is Sam's story takes place explicitly after the main game is over, where everyone has arrived at the destination, has settled, and Sam decided, well, I'm going to keep on moving. I got to go see the ocean. I got to find some way to get back home if that's possible. And it wouldn't be a Russian story without a submarine. There was a submarine involved. But Sam is very much a man out of his element, and yet he's a hardcore soldier-survivor man. So he will find a way to make allies and reward people in a fine fashion. But he continues to talk in this fantastic accent. I'll, I'll give you a sample, I suppose. You tell me how much this hurts. So, for example, обычно нормальный русский язык звучит примерно так. Мой искаженный, потому что я не так уж редко, ну, довольно редко говорю по-русски. 
Но так он звучит, это ясно. Но когда Сэм разговаривает по-русски, он использует вот такой акцент. И иногда он использует американские слова, like very good, тут сказать, что он хочет сказать. Does that make sense to you? Uh, makes a little sense. It's been a while since It I've had to speak. So what? But like the Russians roll their R's, for example. Sam does not roll his R's. And it, it sounds, I did not check the American dub. But suffice it to say, I continued to keep, I, I kept on grinning when the voice actor did. I'm pretty sure it's a Russian-speaking guy putting on an accent. That's a difficult one to sustain unless you're really sold in. It's like doing a really solid Christopher Walken impression. It, it's, it's tenuous. <laughs> If you lock into that wavelength, you can keep it going. But if you slip, it's hard to do a good walking. Oh, Interestingly is. enough as well, constantly I would have the Russian audio track going and English subtitles. And whenever Sam would throw in an Americanism by spoken language, the subtitles would have a Russian set of words there, but in English letters, so spelled phonetically. It was the weirdest thing, because I think they synced up the Russian-isms, I guess. I told you like many years ago that Metro Last Light, there's a character who... In English audio dub, he'll just throw in Russian phrases just to sell the idea that, oh, we're in Russia, by the way. It isn't necessary. It's not super welcome, but it's there. Well, here, it's whenever the character would use the other language to say what they got to say, the subtitle disagree with the dub. It was the weirdest thing, a little element that doesn't matter super much, but I really enjoyed it. So Sam's story is a much longer crawl through an area, similar to Act 3 of the game, where... The map is open, but there is a linear direction you will take through that map and then catch on to little storytelling tidbits and elements and even find an arsenal more to your liking. For example, you get a, you get a 1911, Chucks. Good news. You get an American gun. Absolutely. Yeah. With ACP ammo in Russia for some reason, but it's cool. You get the US of A guns. Two world wars. Actually, three, technically speaking. Uh, this results in praise. What it does. It does with a little bit of slop here and there, but I greatly enjoyed my time with Metro Exodus and its DLC. There is a charming sequence where Sam, the American, and an old Russian uh, naval captain who is surviving in a tenement building by living in the upper floors, they decide to get drunk. And it's kind of a Red Dead Redemption 2 situation where the night progresses, first-person perspective from our character, Sam, the entire time. But you just keep seeing bad ideas getting worse. Some of them are pretty mean. Like The reason they're drinking in the first place is for antiseptic purposes because the captain uh, dislocated his knee. So Sam's got to try and pull it straight so he can heal properly. Ooh. So they, they just start a couple of, couple of drinks at that point to lessen the pain. But then they keep drinking. Then they're on the rooftop saying, you know, you know, be really good right now. A little bit of music. Yeah, yeah, some music. And they look over the edge of the building and there's a two-man patrol with a radio on. They see them take another doff from the cup, and then the camera cuts to black because Sam blinks with his eyes open again. Uh, they just beat up the two guys, stick the radio, and they're back in the building, just pumping some tunes. At one point, there's a mutant that just appears because he was curious what the noise was, and the captain ends up punching him out, followed by lecturing him on the chair, thinking he's talking to Sam. So, typical clusterfuck, the drinking continues, and the night gets worse. Set of situations. Including your character waking up the next morning screaming, I've gone blind! I've gone blind! No, you idiot, you're on your face! Roll over! Oh, okay. I don't know. Something about that particular sequence struck me as being 
well enough written to not be super cheesy and to become relatable. Because who hasn't made terrible decisions at four in the morning, right? Yeah, who hasn't? I've made plenty of those. So if you have any questions for me, I'll happily answer them. But it mostly gets summarized as surprisingly good time, especially well worth it in a bundle. And I have positive things to say. Just the two major detractors being you should play it in Russian, and the main game has too many instances of characters wanting to, t to tell you stuff, but that requires you to stand in place and not do anything, as opposed to previously, they'd be talking and explaining things as you're moving through the environment. Hmm. I don't know. I think I like the walking through the environment explaining things better than I do just standing there talking. That's what I just said, yeah. No, I it, know. It's I... a lot better. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I'm... I am agreeing with you. Let me rephrase my statement there. I agree with you, sir. I uh, do think that's better because it gives you the sense of how actual real life, how situations like that in real life would happen. Um, I have no questions. I've never played the game. Um, you say it's Fallout 4-esque. I, uh, I have not played Fallout 4 either. Um, hearing the Russian that you were speaking, uh, you can hear it and you just, it's the same thing like you said, you just want to go, ooh, the way it's done. It's kind of weird. It's like me speaking Russian. Uh, it's slightly weird when you hear me speak. But they sell it. They sell the idea that this person has been around. This is not their first language. They've managed to get better, but their inflection will forever mark them as an outsider. Oh. I'll have to do some research and see what the English dub sounds like. It'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if Sam sounds super normal America with no accent and then everyone else sounds like they're putting on their best Yakov Smirnov impression. <laughs> and Russia's mutants attack you. No shit, Yakov. Could be. It's hard. I mean, localization across different borders is... I I feel a little bit weird inside when I hear a Russian speaker put on their very best American accent, and it's painfully obvious that they can't do it well, but to them, it sounds good. Oh, yeah, I mean, that that happens with any time you're learning a new language, like... Like well, I guess what I don't know. You've never told me how I sound when I when I speak Russian to you. I'm assuming it doesn't sound good. It probably sounds like an American speaking Russian. Well, Very you have terrible. to speak up first. You have to make noise because you just sort of bite down your lip and fart through your ass and pretend you said a sentence. What? That's not how you speak Russian. Not usually. Not in my experience. Oh, okay. Damn. Damn. I I so, will. Metro is a series I would recommend for us at some point. It will be very much a me watching you. But there has there is value there. I think you would benefit from having an atmospheric, sneaky shooty listeny game. That's not really there to make you feel good. It, it it's not about that. It, it's it has peaked. Let me put it this way: it's piqued my interest. I want to see where it goes, and I would like to play this game. I saw a little bit of the photos of the game when uh, you while you were talking, and uh, it has piqued my interest. Any post-apocalyptic game normally uh, piques my interest. Because, like you said, I'm a big fan of Resident Evil. So, speaking of Resident Evil, that's what we're watching today, ladies and gentlemen. Again, Resident Evil 2. Uh, Just can't get enough. I can't. You said uh, Jill's second run? It's Jill's first run. So, the first playthrough. So, instead of uh, Leon is outside of the gate, you were the one who enters the RPD. Um, so, if you've watched in the beginning, you noticed I died about 40... Uh, 40-something minutes in, about 47, 48 minutes in, I managed to still beat the game because it keeps your time over when you die. From once you get out of the car, um, I have to run back to the PD. I managed to beat the game in two hours and 22 minutes still. So if you think about it, I actually played from beginning to end in about an hour and a half. Excuse me, <clears throat> an hour and a half. Lost my voice there for some reason. You were so impressed with your feat 
that your breath gave out. It did. It was like, that's just one hell of an achievement. Now, if I could do that with uh, regular weapons instead of unlimited ammo, rocket launcher, and uh, minigun, it'd be better. If if you can stand it, because I know you've told me before that you'll play the RE games uh, 12 times in a row, and it stops being fun by about the third or fourth time, but you just feel compelled. You have to go do it. And on the inside, you're dying, but it, it has to be done. It does. Uh, the only thing I think I might ever put up for this game again I played Claire's second run before I did this. Did the same thing, destroyed it. Um, I plan on doing Leon's here in a couple days, but I want to show everybody the Ghost Survivors. If you guys have already seen it, let me know. I won't have to do them. I'll play them. And just, tofu Survivors! I, you can actually get Tofu in this. I'm aware. Which is awesome. I like that callback to that game, or the original but, one. But not just Tofu. You get There's multiple. an special Tofu unit. Yeah, there is. It wasn't in the original, but I like what they did. I give them give them A plus for bringing that back. Good on you, Capcom. Hey, hey, Chucks, do you want to hear some about some weeb shit that you would never look at if I weren't here? Sure, tell me. Uh, apparently, Nippon Ichi is a publisher that has been reposting a lot of games from old PS2 days onto PC and Steam. So here's a big victory for games preservation as a culture. You've probably never heard of Soul Nomad and the World Eaters. I have not. You've probably heard of Soul Eater the anime, and this is not related, but it has big, dumb anime vibes. Soul Nomad, along with Phantom Brave from the same development studio, were contemporaries to Disgaea 1 and 2 before the developer basically said, one of these series is working way better, we'll just stick with that. Also, Makai Kingdom. Here's some anime names that you'll probably love hearing. Soul Nomad is odd, because instead of being solely focused on individual units, it's going to follow your character, your protagonist, the self-professed world eater, uh, who is super powerful, but is still level 1 when the game starts, so go figure. It's going to have a big, dumb, annihilate-the-world plot that will still teach you about friendship and, and, and goals and being a human being, not just a demon, over its time. But like all the Disgaea games, it is ultra-grindy. And if you're in for the experience of getting new squad mates and making them stronger, and instead of running the game faster, running the game with bigger numbers, because you got to have big numbers. Five digits for stats is not enough. I need nine digits for these stats, okay? i got to be able to swing in billions of damage because I just feel good this way. Soul Nomad is a game that I've played a bit when it was out and fresh. Hopefully you're looking at screenshots now. I but, am. I'm looking at the game. It was released on Steam yesterday. Yeah, big menus, big menus everywhere, old school blurry sprites, low resolution, clumsy controls, impenetrable play systems. But you can learn it, and if you dig it, it becomes a weird, bizarre, compelling thing. I just specifically remember this game because a person had transgressed against me in the one of the few ways that I just can't stand. And Chucks, I think you'll... We've talked about this before, but I'll just bring this up. Uh... Browbeat acquired himself a game. And it was new. And he brought it home. And he said, well, I gotta go work, but after my shift, I look forward to playing this. And he came home. And somebody else had opened the game, started playing immediately, and said, oh yeah, how you doing? Yeah, this is really fun. Do you know about this game? And that, that really challenged my calm in that moment. No murders occurred, 
but that's just the one thing you don't do. I got this from me. It was new. Why did you think you could unseal this and just crack it open and start playing? I didn't do that to you, did I? No, you didn't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you did. No. But that's just one of those. Listen, I don't ask for much. This is one of those things. Maybe it just. I, I never said out loud. I don't like that. And you assumed, Mister Guestman, that this is just cool to do. And if the latter is the tr the case, if you just assume this is cool to do, I have other important questions about your awareness of social orders and agreements that may uh, reveal you to be a monster and not a human being. But likely this is just a browbeat-related hang-up. And I remember this game not for its quality as a Disgaea-like game, but the trauma it caused me in trust in people. Hmm. So fun times. Yeah, fun times. This guy's guy great, though. I've never Endorsed played any of those. <laughs> I need to. I don't, I don't know how to sell them to you, honestly. Uh, I told you about the Grindfest. I told you about the, uh, the, the weeb shit that occurs in these games. Over-the-top characters, big numbers, unnecessary convoluted mechanics. Uh, the very first game, I did go through the story mode. I think I told you before that I ended up unlocking a more difficult one unexpectedly. But the story went from, oh, the son of the overlord of particular hell is now in control, but he misses dad. And uh, heaven sent an assassin angel to come kill him. But the angel is like this love priestess who is very kind and gentle, and she can't be an assassin. And then he learns the meaning of Christmas, and the Power Rangers were there. But then humanity sent a super dimensional ship to attack that. It doesn't fucking matter. The story is bonkers. Sometimes the character moments are sweet. But let's be honest. You are here to play the game. And playing the game is deftly going through maps and challenges and level ups and creations rapidly. Because it does feel good when you have a team firing in all cylinders. But the only reason to get more numbers is to get more numbers. If you're down for that, going to be a good time. If you're not, I wouldn't touch this in the least. We may have to play it, sir. Sure. Yeah. Disgaea. That and I think Soul Soul Leader or Soul Soul Kingdom World Leader. Well, we have to play that too. Soul Nomad Soul Kingdom. My God, it'll likely be a one-off for you, certainly, or we could have a, a Nippon Ichi uh, show and tell fair. Because again, there's a reason I don't say start at the beginning. Honestly, if this is something you want to check out playing from Disgaea 4 onwards may be the safest bet because there's been quality of life improvements. For example, I think I've talked about this in, in the long ago past. It's a turn-based tactical game and you can commit to executing the actions you've set up or ending the turn. Execution creates more flexibility in the outcome of your commands. One of the commands your characters can do is to lift another creature, enemy or friend. And it's a square grid, but for the first, oh, four games, basically, your characters were not able to throw anybody di diagonally. It had to be four cardinal directions. You could hack it by waggling the input sticks opposite directions rapidly and then mashing that execute button. And then you could have this cool soft hack trick to throw characters in diagonal directions. Does that super matter? Not really, but it was one of those advanced user commands to help you navigate the world quickly if you needed to. And then luckily, at some point, I think in game five, they said, fuck it, throw them diagonal. Just just choose the command and do it. 
Did it feel like a very much betrayal to old school fans? Sure. But I can totally endorse it. I can say, no, do that. Because it's frustrating not to be able to. And sometimes it doesn't always work. So put the training wheels on. Make it accessible. Make more people fall in love with this damn thing. And don't worry. If you want to see previous characters, I'm confident there's a piece of DLC that will guest star them in the game too. Yeah, probably. One day. But I would like to hear your teeth just grind, going, what the fuck is this? Who finds this fun? Uh, me, dude. Me. Right here. I'm not even, I'm not even that good at it. There's people who truly find ways to squeeze out ludicrous um, performance out of their characters. Like the why rapper? Did you, why did you make that character deal 3 billion damage in, the, in one combo? Eh, because I could. Okay. Uh, the enemy had two orders of magnitude less HP than that. Yeah, I know, but meh. I call it the Charlie effect. I bring it up every now and then. I used to know a guy in computer science named Charlie. And um, I was a delinquent. I didn't. I wasn't a good student. He was. But one day I got him a copy of Disgaea. I said, there you go, Charlie. Play this. He says, yeah, man, cool. Yeah, cool. And then a few days later I said, hey, Charlie, did you play the game? Yeah, man, yeah, I played that game. So uh, what mission are you on, Charlie? Oh, it's like 1-3, dude. Uh-huh. What level is your character, Charlie? Level 300. He discovered the item world. He discovered it was randomly generated. And it was a great grind spot. And he just fell into the obsessive pattern of making his character stronger. It wasn't necessary to progress. But his mind immediately said, how strong can I make him? How OP can I get? How much more of the game can I discover outside the main experience? And that's very similar to what happens with Ubisoft games where... They really want you to do the next story mission, but you did just open the map. And if there's not a level gating system that keeps you artificially away from somewhere, buddy, I'm going to go look at that map. I'm going to get to know your world and mess up all the event triggers and spoil the momentum for myself. Because you've got this cool milestone set for me. Maybe the Eiffel Tower blows up. I don't know. But you let me go exploring. So I'm going to go exploring. And if I discover the game says, you're level too low, go back later. Okay, now I'll map out where I can't be and progress in the bare minimum fashion that I need to. But that's that's a bit of the illness that my mind shares. Chucks, I don't think you have that problem. Uh, I do not, unfortunately. Oh, I, I do, fortunately. Well, no, I do not. I somewhat have. It depends on when, when I'm playing. The where I get... So I get like that where I just get upset or get get where I'm like I gotta do this and it's not how some people play so it it's one of those things I, I it's a hit and miss. You gotta do it. Is it fun? No. Then why are you doing it? Because I gotta do it. Exactly. Speaking of more weeb shit, would you like me to read some of the things that I sent to appear in reflection upon the Ava three plus one O film, the last Ava movie? Uh, I do, because you were talking to me about it, and you're like, oh my god, this is nuts. I said I was confused, I believe. I gave a, a brief snippet. These were some of the things that I sent. Again, just quotations without a lot of context. How could it have been anything else? A cruel Kojima's thesis. Boy, it really wants to be Gurren Logon. You're right. Anime was a mistake. Could Occam's razor slit God's wrist? Mad Max Fury Road is a film about a fuel convoy traveling 85 miles out of town, then backtracking. Short controlled bursts of plot. You know, the more you shake the camera, the clearer the script becomes. 
Until this moment, I never realized that Technobabble exists in anime as well. Parenthood is hard. And lastly, how could it not have been anything else? Not being in parentheses. Was any of that clear? Somewhat. Well, it makes a bunch of references that it's meant, it's meant to be abstract. The strongest selling points is that, once again, if you don't pause to think about what the hell is happening in front of you, the animation is solid, the character designs work, it is very animu. If you're into that, good. You're into that. Uh, a character towards a pivotal moment in the plot's resolution, about three quarters of the way in, gets a beast mode that looks really cool. None of that was necessary, but if you're here for the fan service, you'll go, yeah, man, that's awesome! One of the characters they created for this whole rebuild film series, in movie two, I think, uh, believed the creator didn't mean to feature that character as much as he did, but the fan response is very strong, so that character is shoehorned in to be a trope. Think of like a, you know Don Quixote a little bit? Yeah, I know Don Quixote. Yeah, think of a sexy Sancho Panza, you're not too far away. <laughs> um, our lead character Shinji arguably lead character gets to have the conversation he always wanted to with his father and he gets to grow up and he actually for the first time gets what can be interpreted as a happy ending uh, I don't think it was necessary to drag him through everything that he was dragged through for the show, the first movie and the next four movies but if that matters to you, then at long last, Shinji Ikari gets to be in a place that he approves of without just resetting the world back to how it was before things went down. Because that's kind of the big deal is, hey, Shinji, you have a free wish, an absolute wish. You can wish for anything you want. Meh, put it back the way it was. Oh, wow, really? You're just quitting on this right now? Okay, okay fine, fine. We'll do that, Shinji. You're not going to be any happier, you fuck. Uh, there is a super dumb thing I will reveal that is a spoiler, um, if you're prepared for this. I am. Because we're dealing with big, broad imagery and symbolism, because Animu, out of nowhere, in the third movie, there is a shield helicarrier. It's actually more than a shield helicarrier. It's like a, a shield ultra carrier, um, that is using... Ego's uh, spinal column from Guardians 2 as a power source. It makes about as much sense. And it defies reality and it can kill gods. And this thing... I have to say this. Not only does it produce itself... It, it's hard to start, because, you know, um, with with the 86 million cylinder engine, it's really hard to get that fucker going quickly. But once you do, uh, it can go for a long time, like a diesel engine. And then it lifts out of the water, because, of course, it, it could fly. Um, and then using gravity tethers, it picks up a fleet of naval vessels and wields them as a cloud around themselves to be shield bits or ammo supplies or missiles if it wants to, because it thro throws boats around because reasons. And this, this vessel is basically shown to be a last hope stolen from the opposition and hijacked for hero purposes. So this vessel becomes very important in the fourth movie to... Um, to go assault God, basically. Not not literally, but we need this thing to fly over and get our heroes close to where they need to be. And so, 
launching their daring ambush upon the well-prepared opposition, the crew of this super vessel sees the last thing they expect to see, which is another super vessel of the exact same design across from them to meet them. So now you've got a one-on-one -on -one mirror match, right? Oh no, the super ship that doesn't exist has a cousin or a brother, another super ship. Okay, I could have seen something like this coming. I can deal with this. What I can't deal with is there being two more. In the middle of trying to flank and maneuver around one, a third appears, and then a fourth appears. And why do you think, Chucks, that there are four super ships that shouldn't exist? Uh, multiverse? Interdimensional crossing of the multiverses? Uh, you know, that would have been a decent way. No, no, we're doing a four horsemen thing. Oh, dear God. We, it, Four of these vessels are necessary to bring about the conditions to create the end or transformation of this world to the next. Open Apocalypse's door, or the Dwarf Guff, if you like. But the tone, the seriousness that somebody said just a movie ago, that this vessel is like a last-ditch effort and it shouldn't exist, but here it is. Oh, by the way, there's three more because I had a cooler idea in the last 15 years since I've made this last movie. And when these things begin to happen... For all the stakes that are happening on screen, to me, I disengage. There are no stakes. The animation looks cool, and it doesn't matter. Because this is a classic Japanese trope of the audience is not operating on full information. There are things being artificially withheld to then be revealed to be shocking afterwards. This does work on 14-year-olds. Really hard for me to stomach, especially when it's done clumsily. And... Are there any other positives I can think of? Because this thing is two and a half hours long. And it doesn't need to be. Uh, things almost end up exactly where they were at the end of Ava. Slash the first series end. But then you get a, a popular pop song and an alternate scene. And then that's it really feels in many ways like the creator is walking away from this for the last time. Unless the money's good, in which case he'll come back and do something else. There's an opening fight that is utterly unnecessary, but looks dope, I suppose, over Paris, at uh, which point the Eiffel Tower is used as a spear. Not a drill, that's legally distinct, but a spear against an enemy. I thought to myself, why is this what we're seeing? Well, the answer is, in the show creator's past, there was an animation project he did that involved an Eiffel Tower, that involved Paris. So knowing things like this, this whole experience is so meta as to be a terrible movie because it's the fourth part to a trilogy. And yes, thematically, you can hash out all of your rough draft thoughts, slap them together, recombine them, suspend disbelief, get people to develop and evolve. I told you it stole a scene, basically, or excuse me, appropriated a scene almost wholesale from the movie Fearless with Jet Li. Yeah, you did tell me that. Is you know, lay your cares aside, come plant some rice with me, because by doing this, you get to show that life can, life can be about the very simple pleasures and a job well done, as opposed to your high concept concerns. I can appreciate the animation, but after a high octane opening, let's just stop everything and have the characters wander over to a village that is going back to quote the old ways to host survivors and such. 
But we also find out that the only way this is possible is because in the meantime, in the background, the survivors have had super technology to push back the immaterium of a ruined world because... <laughs> I hate having to say this. Um, the threat at the end of the last film was initiation of third impact. And what that basically just stands for is the cleansing of humanity. Uh, but due to a lucky intervention, only half the world blew up. So it's near third impact. But this movie, we're going to do a fourth impact for realsies. The, the, the biggity, biggity, biggity bang. That's what they... They didn't call it that. I called it that. But it's laughable. It's ludicrous. Because the world has been on the brink of terror the entire time. So when you say, yeah, but this one's scarier. Now we're back to the taxonomy of the, the, the underdark, the super dark. It's scary town. You don't want to go to scary town. It's scary there. So that's why, that's why it's difficult to take seriously. If you pick this apart as a compilation of comic book issues in a trade and you just understand that you're here for volume four of this ongoing story it is significantly easier to take than as a film on its own and i'm aware that we're adapting a series not a standalone work to begin with <coughs> but i come back to how could it be anything else the expectations have to be very carefully gauged and attuned to we're going to have a whole lot of betrayals and character beats and resolutions and long-term payoffs and fan service and big robots, except for not punching each other. That one had four tits. Oh. It's hard to enjoy. No, there were no tits. No titties were had. Almost titties were had. Side boob? I guess it counts. Mm. But, like, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a second in command role, right? And the big, the big bad, if you will, who's looking to orchestrate all these complete events, he's had this character as his retainer for the entire series. He's always been very steadfast and always prim and proper. The old general, or colonel, if you like. He's just been the contrary force to hold everything together while his boss, who has this grand idea and vision, continues to fuck around with world mechanics. And Contrary to what I may mean, there's no betrayal. No. His, his second in command stays loyal to him the entire time. To the big bad. But at one point there's a conversation between the written in Sancho Panza with Titi's character and the second in command. And the conversation is just anime schlock where the character who's far too carefree for anything that's happening at the moment says, oh, I see your this entire battle vessel is completely automated, but you chose to be here on the bridge by yourself. Yes, indeed, the LCL concentration for this entire vessel is far too heavy for any living being. I imagine it'll expire soon, but we could have this one more conversation before I look fondly off into the sunset and say a one-liner and pop into a fleshy balloon. Why? No need. Why? No, there is a need, because animu genre conventions that make fairy tale popular require these tropey conversations to take place, and psychologically, the fans get to say, oh, that well, that story thread is finished. Unless it gets undone by the next 10 minutes, but for now, it is finished in our mind. It feels cheap. Which is why, Chucks, uh, in summary of my impressions, at least the first time around, and I hope I don't have to watch this again, uh, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, the result is, please go watch Jinro. It is, a, it is the antithesis of everything seen here, where it is a threequel, to live-action series of films that are not necessary to be seen, but if you super want to dig, I'm sure you can find them. Jinro has an animated movie 
is wonderfully self-contained and requires almost no knowledge on your part of anything else happening outside of this picture. And of course, avoid Ilong on Netflix because that is a live-action Korean adaptation that has nothing to do with the themes of what's happening here outside of the action. Hmm. I will watch both and tell you how disappointed I am in the other one. <clears throat> if you can stand it, I quit after about 25 minutes. Because once I realized the production is much more concerned with style than anything else, and the dialogue is wooden and clumsy, I couldn't do it. I had to get out. Well, I will give it... I'm going to give Jinro a try. I uh, I did forget to mention that I, I, I did also watch the third episode of What If. Go ahead. Fill me in on the third episode of What If and your best stylings. The third episode of What If is what if the Avengers were killed before they'd ever before they'd ever joined forces? Um, you mean accidentally, or somebody targeted the Avengers and went back in time and off them? They didn't go back in time. So uh, in this one, you first see uh, Tony Stark at the end of the first Iron Man film, where he's sitting, or is it second Iron Man film, where he's eating donuts on the in the donut. On top third of the building? Is it the third? It might be the third. Where he tells him, ah, I want to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And they give him something to help him with his uh, heart and being poisoned. Well, they show that scene, and all of a sudden, Tony dies. And they're like, oh, shit. Tony died. Like, what do we do? So they put the blame on uh, Black Widow. And Nick Fury's like, hey, look, someone's got to take the fall for this. Uh, you know what to do. Find a way to get out essentially like get out of here and you'll be fine. So she escapes and she goes to investigate. And the only person she can think of is, uh, Bruce Banner's love interest. Uh, so she, while she's there, she's like, you're the only person, uh, that has been able to keep under the radar of shield. So I need to know how you did it. And while she's there, she's like, wait a minute, Bruce has to be here at the same time. That's going on. They find Thor's hammer from the first Thor film. And you see uh, Shield sitting there, and it's the scene where Hawkeye's got his bone drawn, a bow drawn on Thor. And so what happens is, is he's like, "I got the shot." And he's like, "Don't take it. Let's see what happens." And all of a sudden, something hits his hand and causes him to shoot the bow and kill Thor with a bow and arrow because Thor doesn't have his god powers anymore because he doesn't have Mjolnir. Something. Yeah, you don't know what it is. Okay. It it, it gets a little silly. So as that's happening, uh, uh, Black Widow finds Bruce Banner and is talking to him, and then Loki appears. Boom. In front of Nick Fury and everybody, and he's like, hey, what's going on? Like, hey, you killed my brother. We need retribution. We're going to take over the world. He's like, hey, look, we're after the same thing. We want to find the person who killed your brother, and we want to find the person who's killing my people. It cuts back almost kind of hope the dialogue really does start with things like, hey, um, like... Yeah, they do, actually. So, <clears throat> I'm trying to recollect at the same time I'm talking here, so I'm terribly okay. sorry. It's It's been a little over a week. So it goes back to Natasha and Bruce, and Bruce gets shot. Uh, you don't know who shoots him. Uh, there's a General Thunderbolt sitting out there with a bunch of uh, military men, and Bruce gets pissed. So he turns into the Hulk. And as he's turning into the Hulk... He keeps swelling and swelling up, and all of a sudden he just 
blows the fuck up. You're just like, oh shit. Like, Bruce Banner's dead now. Thor's dead. Yeah, you know, and Iron Man's dead. <clears throat> it cuts back to Natasha finding out because she listens to a voicemail that says it's all about hope. So she goes and looks up into the Avenger files. Um, she gets Pearson, who is the nerdy white guy who gets killed by Loki in the second Avengers film. <coughs> and she looks up and there's like hope. And so she calls uh, uh, Nick Fury and tells him, hey, it's all about hope. And Nick's trying to think and think and think. And finally, the next scene, he figures it out. And he goes to a... To a uh, graveyard and it's Hope Van Dyne Hank Pym's daughter and he's, and he's like oh shit and so he shows up and he starts fighting someone and then you find out it is Michael Douglas's uh, as the wasp so he's Hank Pym as the wasp okay and he's been killing everybody because it was Nick's fault and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s fault that uh, she died over in uh, Europe in some big incident so he's blaming them and killing everybody off and putting all the blame on Nick Fury so he can't do the Avengers initiative. But instead, Nick gets Loki to help him out and Loki beats the shit out of Hank Pym and it solves the whole thing. Then Loki conquers the Earth because the next scene after he captures Hank, uh, Hank Pym is him going to the UN and saying, yep, now you're all my subjects. I wasn't as enthralled with this episode by the way, it's a very brief... I wouldn't say it's a brief synopsis. It is a synopsis of the episode. I wasn't impressed as if... What if T'Challa became uh, Star-Lord? Or what if uh, Peggy Carter became Captain America? Because it, it wasn't as in-depth. It was just like, okay, like here's... I wouldn't sit down. It's not as in-depth. It was... It, it was just so short of what... I was looking for like, what if the Avengers never happened essentially? And Hank Pym kills them all because he can shrink and get into people's bloodstreams and blow up their heart. He was in the injection fluid that they gave to Tony Stark. And he was the one who ain't hit Hawkeye's hand. Oh, by the way, Hawkeye also dies. He gets into his bloodstream and kills him somehow. Okay. So with all that said, I'm just like, I don't, I, I think they could have done a better villain somehow of killing all the Avengers. I just don't like, or like they got into a fight and they all decided to fight each other and they all died. I, there's multiple other ways they could have gone about it. I get it. Not my favorite episode far so far, but there's only three episodes. So I would not. So far. So far. I think there's 10 episodes. So they're releasing them week by week on uh, Disney+. Plus. You mean to say you weren't enthralled by all the reversals and, and oh no, and then someone died. Because you didn't even get to the part where you're supposed to have two of the matching um, stones, like clone stones, the reality stones, but then one of them changed over to the essence stone, and that made it impossible to trigger the final reaction. So we had to go summon Wolfoids again. Yes, with the Witcher Lock Blade. Exactly, you're catching on now. Yeah, yeah. No, so I was disappointed in this episode. Uh, not the best. Can they disappoint me more? Yeah, like I said, three episodes in, week to week basis. I think the new one already came out. So I should. Is it, at least, is it salvaged by the stellar animation, the art style? The art style and animation is the same, so I will give them that it's still a good art style for the show. Um, I just didn't like the story and how they executed it. There was a story. There was just poorly done by that, me. 
I heard there was events that got stapled together into something that is meant to resemble a story. Rather, plot. Plot is the word for that. Stuff happened in sequence. You go make sense of it. Yep, hold on here. Oh, nope, it came out today. Episode 4 came out today. Come out on Wednesdays. So the first three are the three that I just explained poorly. Um, got more watching to do. And I got to make sense of it all. There's six episodes. I'm sorry. Also, six, the sixth episode comes out on the 15th. So I do have more watching to do. And I will explain what the next episode is on the next Crimecast we do. Uh, probably just as poorly as I did this time. It's something of a tradition at this point, but maybe, maybe, maybe you'll listen back to yourself and say, all right, let me take notes and add some structure to my reviews because I don't necessarily prepare to tell you about what I got to tell you, but there is some degree of pinned in cohesive thoughts that I want to flow through. Understanding that I have no visual aid to share with you unless you look up at the stuff that I'm speaking to. No, I I get that. I, I don't. I just fly by the seat of my pants like always. Okay, until someone offers creative admonishment and says, you know, Chucks, you could do this and this and this. And if you do, pepperoni party. Yeah, pepperoni pizza party. I actually saw that. That's uh, Qui-Gon Jinn talking to the fat alien dude from the first Star Wars. Uh, episode one, excuse me. And it's like, it says managers and the other, the fat alien guy, uh, managers on Qui-Gon Jinn. It says the fat alien guy's employees. You will enjoy this pizza party. Yeah, your Jedi mind tricks won't work on me, man. <laughs> and I'm like, this this is great. Like, I like that meme. Like, it's I almost remember. as good as when the, the the restaurant managers are talking to regional manager uh, uh, Sidious. They're saying, he brought Rupert, the authentic redneck robot. I haven't seen that one. I'm going to have to. Yes, you have. Have I? It's Jedi, Jedi Party. Oh, yeah, it is Jedi Party. Right. I mean, it's, it's worth a rewatch, but talking about stellar, low-tier, shit-tier humor... That's good. That Audio is, edit, good stuff. That that is a good, good thing. Along with uh, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Lots. I would argue Wizard of Oz is substantially more taxing creative direction because you're shooting new footage as well as getting actors and garb and costume. Uh, producer level fuckery that is clever clips and edits, despite the truly outstanding musical numbers in every single episode. Uh, slightly less effort. Also good in its own way, but slightly less effort. Hey, sir, we speak Australian here on Abracadingdong. Not Abracadingdong. Guy Pierce <laughs> for a single episode. Is everyone okay? Yes, everyone except Susan. She's a goose. She's a swan now? <laughs> yeah. Good shit. Excellent shit. It is. Everyone go check out Oral Knots. Yes. Oh, man. Brings me back to the day, sir. Back in the day. Three years ago. Yeah. When life was simpler and more innocent. And there were no X-somethings hiding around the corner. Yeah, that's true, too. What was that about the X-something? Never mind. <laughs> don't tell him. Just just, just watch this. Shush, don't I say did, I did download a long-time backlog game, which was the Inquisitor isometric action Warhammer 40k game. Can't vouch for it quite yet. It's only I've only spent maybe an hour with it so far, but I imagine I'll have something to say about it the next week. I did just see a 40k game pop up on Steam while we were talking about uh, Deeponichi. Oh, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. Oh, there is now, but they have a flying game called Daka Squadron. Daka Squadron, 
and you get to fly around in airplanes built by the orcs. And uh, it has very good reviews, but all the negative reviews are like, look, if this a good game like Ride to Hell Retribution would be good in your guys' eyes if they were dressed up like orcs. So I don't want to hear this is a good game. It's a mobile game put on PC, but it's only 20 bucks. It's cheap. It might no. be. <laughs> if it's a mobile game? No, that's too much. Oh, no, for a mobile game? Yes. But I don't know that for sure. I've never, I haven't looked on my phone. To confirm that well, statement. There, there is a demo that you can download and take a look if you want to play Docker Squadron. There is. I saw that. You can download it for free. Let's see how bad but it is. It's more of an amusing idea. It's a fine idea. It probably works better in a different implementation. What has Prosper Game Studios done? Nothing. This is their first release. Unproven. Oh, shit. Well, what if they're a mobile game? Game company. So, if it was a mobile game... That might be why there's no games on PC, because they just converted it over. And we're like, okay, good for us. We got a PC game out now. But it's a mobile game on PC, so who knows? We may have to look into it and play that free demo and be like, no, it's crap. Or it's good. <laughs> we'll find out. We will. I guess this is a way of saying we're winding down, sir? Yeah, slightly. We're, we are winding down. I've noticed that for the past few minutes. Aha. Uh -huh. Anything that's... In Rising aside from the aforementioned Jin Rose things? Uh, Jin Rose, the next episode of What If, which I'll probably go watch here in about 20 minutes. And uh, for games-wise, no. It's the first of the month, so uh, payments, are, payments are due. So I, I unfortunately cannot uh, buy new games. But but the pass, the, the, the game pass, must have new free things. It must. No, I, I got no new games on the horizon right now. Um, I got to uh, save the monies and then pay off bills. And then probably in the mid midweek, I will be looking into games that I want to play. I do want to take a look at that uh, Aliens game you told me about. The Aliens, what is it, Fire Squadron? Fire Team Elite. Fire Team Elite, that's it. I want to see how that is. Uh, I did see someone already has a review up of it. So knowing this person... It's going to be either a really crap game or a really good game. I don't know yet. I'll have to find out. Yeah. And I bid you the most excitement you can because, hey, when Chucks gets hyped, comedy ensues. Oh, it does indeed, sir. It does indeed. Well, sir, oh, sir. It, it sounds like this episode's coming to an end. So for Grime and Game, guys, uh, I'm not Chucks. And as ever, your companion, Browbeat. And before we go, I do want to mention one thing. Don't forget, if you guys want to watch a stream, uh, you can follow us on Twitch. It's a Grime and Game. Uh, you can find us on uh, audio version of this on your favorite podcasting network, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, and if you guys want to see the gameplay that we play on these episodes, you can always check us, check our YouTube channel out, YouTube channel out at Grime and Game at YouTube. Uh, right now we are playing Disco Elysium. And there on that website, you guys can tell us what you guys want us to play for the Grimecast and what you guys want to see next as the games we play. So we'll talk to you guys next time. See you we'll later. See you then.